Now I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 7, please, as we continue our studies in this Gospel of the Servant of Jehovah. And our title this morning, as we read from verse 24 through to 30, is A Harsh Lesson in Grace. A Harsh Lesson in Grace. Now that is what is called an anomaly. Do you know what an anomaly is? It is a deviation from the common rule. A harsh lesson in grace is an anomaly because grace is not usually harsh. Grace is accepting, grace is loving, grace is caring. So describe it as harsh is an anomaly. But it will become clear as we read the story why I've chosen this title, A Harsh Lesson in Grace. Chapter 7, verse 24 then. And from thence he, the Lord Jesus, arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house. And would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter led upon the bed. Now, if you can remember two Sunday mornings ago, we looked at chapter 7, verse 1 to 24. And we learned there that as our Lord addressed many of the rules and regulations, man made, I hasten to add, of the Pharisees and scribes, he was really laying down a line of demarcation that was pronouncing null and void the clean and unclean System of the Mosaic Law that we found in the, find in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah. And what the Lord was doing was, he wasn't just critiquing these extra rules that the Pharisees and scribes had added to God's law, but he was pronouncing that there was a new age beginning, a new dispensation that would open up God's way of salvation, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. In effect, the whole world. Now at that time our Lord did not explain this radical truth in detail to the crowd, nor to his disciples. And we noted at that study that Peter, who was there in this address in Mark 7, it wasn't until after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came that he came to terms with the issue of the fact that Gentiles could be saved as well as Jews. And we read of that in Acts chapter 10, where the Lord gave him a vision on that housetop of all unclean animals that the law of God in the Old Testament pronounced to be unclean and prohibited to the Jew. And the Lord was saying to him, what God has called clean, do not call unclean. And he wasn't speaking primarily of the animals, though that's part of the application. He was speaking of how the Gentiles would now be received. Because that was what the lesson the law was trying to teach the Jews. That they weren't to follow the Gentile ways. They weren't to follow the Gentile gods or lifestyles. They were to follow the Lord and his law. But now the Lord was saying that the Savior would be the Savior to the whole world. 
Of course, that lesson was taught them in the midst of this issue where the Lord was telling them that the heart of the problem was the problem of the heart. And that's why rules and regulations, conformity without in a religious ritualistic sense, could not affect the anarchy that was within because it was out of the heart that all these sinful problems came and therefore doctoring cosmetically the flesh was no good. Something needed to be done in the heart. That was the case for the Jew and that was the case for the Gentiles, the case for all humanity. It's the case for you if you're here this morning. You're not saved. Religion will do you no good. In fact, it will do you bad if your heart is not changed. Now, what we have here this morning in verse 24 to 30 is the Lord practically demonstrating that the way to, to God had been open to the Gentiles. And the next three miracles, include, uh, four including this one that we see in these uh, next verses of Mark, are performed in Gentile regions. The Lord is now going out of his usual remit of ministry geographically and going into Gentile places and dealing with Gentile people. And therefore, when it says in verse 26 that the woman who is meeting the Lord now was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, it's not a superfluous detail. This woman was a Gentile. She was a Greek, a Syrophoenician, which spoke of the fact she was a Canaanite. Remember the Canaanites were the people that were driven out of the land in the Old Testament to give the land to the people of God, the Jews. And now the Lord is dealing with a woman like this. And so there is what we would call a dispensational aspect to the story. Now, don't let that confuse you. I'll explain it later on. But it just means that something is changing now in how God is dealing with his creation. Now, I have never ceased to be amazed as I've studied this book at some of the opening verses of each of the incidents that we, we have met because they're wonderful and very easily can we pass by them to get to the, the, the nitty-gritty of the story. And we find one of these wonderful verses, verse 24. It says that he entered into a house and would have no man know it. He entered incognito, but he could not be hidden. I think that's wonderful. The Lord Jesus could not be hidden. The servant of Jehovah could not be hidden. Now, from whom could the servant of Jehovah not be hid? We find out from whom in verse 25, a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. From whom could the servant of Jehovah not be hid? From a person in need. We've seen that right throughout this gospel, haven't we? That the servant of the Lord has come to meet the needs of the needy. And the servant always made himself reachable to those who were in need. So even though we will see a, a, an unfamiliar harshness displayed by the Savior here. At least that's the apparent uh, thing that comes to us initially. Here's a clue to the secret of understanding this incident. The servant of the Lord always made himself reachable to those who were in need. I think that will help you. She was a certain woman, Mark says. Now, uh, being a woman, that went against her right away. 
And simply because in those days, the men obviously were favored to the women and, 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 and how they were looked upon in society. But in those days, there was actually a sect of Pharisees called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. It's an interesting denominational name if we're to coin it today, the, the bruised and bleeding Baptists, the bruised and bleeding Presbyterians. Imagine it, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Now, why were they called that? Well, whenever they saw a woman in the street, in the marketplace, they would cover their eyes. And so they bumped into everything that was around them when they covered their eyes. This is true. And they actually took pride in their bruises and bumps as a sign of their sexual ethic. It's remarkable, isn't it? So this was a woman, and uh, really it wasn't a done thing for a rabbi to be seen uh, talking or fraternizing with a member of the opposite sex. But that wasn't her only problem, her sex. She had a daughter, and her daughter had an unclean spirit. Now imagine this, please. Some of you who have daughters or sons or children or uh, any of you could, could enter into what it would have been like, in measure at least, to have a child, a little girl, tormented by the power of the devil. And try and conceive in your mind what it would be like to be the mother of such a child and to look helplessly while your child's body is being pulled apart by the power of Satan. Not only was she oppressed, verse 26 says she was possessed because when the Lord healed her, he cast forth the devil out of the little girl. So here's a child who was demon-possessed. So there were a lot of things going against this woman. She was a woman speaking to a man, a rabbi as far as everybody was concerned. And she had a child who was oppressed and possessed by the devil. Now, I don't want to push this application too much, but I do feel that women, even in our society today, are often left to bear the greatest burdens. Whether they be the burdens of family life, the upbringing of children, or when husbands walk out upon, on them, various things we could go into, but there are similar circumstances that prevail today in our own society. But add to this, she was a woman with this child that was destroyed by the devil but the disciples were against this woman as well she was following them and the lord jesus and and wanting the lord to to help her and the disciples were saying look lord sort her out in effect deal with her because she's getting on her nerves she follows us everywhere shouting after us deal with her so as we can have peace and if that wasn't enough it seemed that the Lord Jesus Christ himself was against this woman. And yet what I do want you to see that there's another wonderful aspect of these opening verses of this incident is that it says in verse 25 at the end that when she had heard of him, she came and fell at his feet. Now that's vital. And you remember this because it'll help you in the rest of this exposition this morning. When she had heard of him, she had heard about his reputation. What was his reputation? He was a savior who said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Him that comes unto me, I will in 
no wise cast out. So she had heard about this miracle man who was healing and teaching and, and, and the common people were hearing him and coming and approaching to him for help and getting it. And when she heard of this in her predicament with everything against her, she came and fell at his feet. That's beautiful, isn't it? When I thought of that, it came to me, the words of a hymn Joseph Hart wrote. We don't hear it sung too often today. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Let not conscience make you linger. What a verse. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. She felt her need of him. She wasn't fit. She wasn't even a Jew. And yet she came, and that was her qualification. Her great need drove her to Jesus. Now, some of you might have some hurdles to faith in your mind and in your heart, but I would say to you this morning, I believe it's a word from the Lord to you, that if you feel your need of Christ, forget about all those things and just come to him. Just come to him. She heard that this man was in the country of Tyre and Sidon. Now, she probably had tried many other uh, salves to help her problem. Quack doctors... Exorcists, I don't know what, it, what they might have been, but now she'd come to the Lord Jesus, and as far as she was concerned, he was her only hope. Now, up to this point, we're very familiar with this type of scene. Someone in need coming to Jesus. Someone in need coming to get help. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. But now we encounter something that is very unfamiliar to us. The Lord Jesus, God, has instructed us to pour out our hearts before him. And this little woman comes before this man who she's heard so much about, and she pours her heart out to him. And what else could she have felt? What would you have felt? Except disappointment. She doesn't even receive a word initially from the Lord Jesus. Now, for that, we need to look at, at Matthew 15 he answered her not a word, Matthew says. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. All she received from this mighty miracle man that was full of compassion, supposedly, was a silence. A praying mother and a silent Jesus. Now imagine this, please. Here was one who at least had the reputation of being able to help. And yet for perhaps, at first at least for her, it seemed that the one who was able to help her need didn't want to. Staggering, isn't it? The disciples wanted the Lord to help her. Now, I know they wanted the Lord to help her to get rid of her, but even they wanted to help her in a strange sort of a way. They were anxious to get rid of her. She kept calling after them. 
But what does it matter if, if men, even holy men of God, are for us, if Christ is against us and is silent to us? doesn't matter. The one who was able to help her, it seemed, refused to help. And if that was only insinuated in the silence, it seemed to become very clear when he spoke. Now we have to go to Matthew to fill in the gaps here. In Matthew 15, 24, he said to the woman, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So after the disciples said, look, help her so as we can get rid of her. The Lord Jesus said, I'm not sent to you Gentile people, but to the lost house of the sheep uh, of Israel. Now, what was she going to do now? Well, let me ask you, what would you do? I think most of us, myself included, would probably say, well, it's obviously not God's will for my daughter to be healed. And uh, you would go home and give up. In fact, you would have even grounds to say, would you not? The Lord ha has told me. The Lord has refused me. I heard it with, with my own ears from his own lips. But did she give up? No. We read that she continued to implore him because true need cannot be repressed. Because when you're in a predicament like this woman was, there's nowhere else you can go but to the Lord. So if you ever hear anyone say, well, I've prayed about a situation enough already, and so I've decided to stop praying, nothing's happened. The only thing that that, that indicates, to me at least, is that the burden of their need isn't strong enough to keep them praying. For if you have a need like this woman had, you can't do anything but keep going to the Lord. Those with a true need cannot stop. Like this woman, you would rather die at the feet of Christ than stop praying. So what did she do? Well, she kept praying in a, in a roundabout way, speaking to the Lord Jesus. But she did a little bit more than that. Verse 25 now in Mark's account shows us that she came and fell at his feet. Now I know that speaks of worship, but practically what she was doing was stopping the Lord Jesus in his tracks. Hope you can see that. She was becoming a physical obstacle to him. Now, I don't know whether you've ever come to the position in, in your prayer life where you just don't know what to say anymore. You don't know how to pray anymore. You become exhausted even for words. And you just cry out. And Matthew tells us that as she fell before the Lord as a bundle at his feet, she cried out, Matthew 15, 25, Lord, help me. Some of you are there right now. You don't know what else to pray, what else to say, other than to cry, Lord, help me. Now, you would imagine we could conclude the story now. How could the Lord refuse as such a supplication from such a woman? Well, one writer put it like this. We would expect that the greater than Joseph Remember Joseph who couldn't control himself when he saw his brothers and he was incognito? We would imagine that a, a greater than Joseph could not control himself any longer and must reveal himself to her. 
Could he who wept at Lazarus's grave and who was moved with inner compassion over the multitude refuse this woman any longer? But you know what happened for her? Verse 27. The more she implored, the more she begged, the more she prayed, the worse it got. Verse 27, Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat, it's not fitting to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. Have you ever experienced that? You're praying about something and the more you pray, maybe even fast and things seem to get worse around and better. And you think, what's the point? But better not pray. In effect, what the Lord Jesus was, was saying to this woman was my healing power, it's for others, but it's not for you. Just imagine it. This isn't gentle Jesus making miles that we're used to from the, from the children's storybooks and the hymns. It's, it's very strange to us. And she could have pleaded her rights, but the fact of the matter is, she didn't have any. She was outside God's people as far as being an Israelite was concerned, and she hadn't the covenants of God. She wasn't related to God the way the Jews were. And so she had nothing to plead before. So what did she do? Did she say, well, some saviour you are, and turn on her heels? No, she did. Verse 28 says, she agreed with the Lord. He said, it's not right to give the, the bread for the children to the dogs. And in verse 28, she says, yes, Lord. Matthew's account says, she said, truth, Lord. She didn't become bitter. She didn't let pride rise its head in her breast. She didn't say, look, I'm no worse than any of the rest of the people that you've been healing. She agreed with Christ. Do you know what that is? That is the attitude of prayer. Humbly agreeing with the Lord regarding our own disposition, our own sinfulness, our own unworthiness, and agreeing with Christ as far as everything that God's word says. That is the place God wants his people to be, where they will speak well of God and much to God, even when everything seems a loss to them, even God himself. So if you're in that position, that's where God wants us. That's where Job got to when he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's exactly what she did. It seemed that Christ was slaying her, kicking her while she was dying. But she held on. She agreed with him. Now what did she do next? Well, look with me. She didn't give up. What a woman. She held on. Now what did she have to hold on to? It would seem very little at an initial glance. But the Lord said, it's not meat. It's not fitting to give the children's bread to dogs. So she held on to one of those crumbs that perchance would have fallen off the children's table and fallen into the dog's mouth. She hoped that would be hers. Yes, Lord, verse 28. The dogs under the table eat of the, the children's crumbs. Now, what had this woman done? She had caught the Lord Jesus Christ by what he said to her. Now, we're getting close to the secret of this story. Let me put it in more understandable words. She took hold of Christ in his own words. 
She never mentioned bread. She never mentioned table. She never mentioned anything related to that. It was he who, who mentioned it first. And he mentioned the dogs under the table. And she grabbed hold of it. Now before I expound that, let me ask the question. It should be glaringly obvious to you. Is this a different Lord Jesus Christ here in Matthew 7 than we find throughout the whole of the gospel records? Certainly seems a bit different. But is he different? Is he different to the, the Lord Jesus uh, who said to the man who you remember was sick 38 years lying by the pool of Bethesda, a man, by the way, who, who never sought for healing, never asked for healing, and this Lord Jesus said, Wilt thou be made whole? What do you want? Do you want to be made whole? And here it might appear that he just ignores this poor woman and even refuses her. And when he does hear what she's saying, he looks to be reluctant, to be begrudging in his grace and healing towards her. Now, here's the key in understanding this passage. It's understanding what I said at the very beginning of this message. There is a dispensational significance to this event. God is now starting to do something different, not just toward the Jews, but the whole world. And he's using this woman to teach that very lesson. A new chapter in his ministry is opening up. He, he's now up to this point been de dealing with Israel primarily. Now he's going to these Gentile regions. He's been rejected in Capernaum. Uh, he's had a delegation. We read of it in chapter 7, the, the first 23 verses. A delegation of religious hitmen coming down from Jerusalem to try and trap him in how he and his disciples adhered to the law. And now he has drawn a line as far as the Jews are concerned and he's going out to reach out to the Gentiles. And many people read this portion and think the Lord is reluctant towards this wee woman. And that's how it seems initially. And incidentally, that's often how it seems to us. Does it not? In our prayers. That's how the disciples read the situation. I guarantee it. That's how this woman initially, I'm sure, read the situation. But the word that is coming to us is, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence there hides a smiling face. In fact, I think the opposite was the case. Do you know what the Lord was actually doing here? Well, two things you need to note. First of all, see this woman's desire. She desired to invoke the grace of our Lord Jesus to help her in her predicament. So don't miss that. She had a great desire in her need to know the grace of God. But verse 27 gives us a glimpse into the Lord's heart. The Lord pointed out, I've been sent to the Jews first. That's right. Salvation is of the Jews. The Messiah came from the Jews. All the promises of Messiah were from the Jews. And he speaks of dogs. And the Jews understood the Gentiles to be dogs. That's how they saw them. Unclean, outside the camp of, of religious ritual cleanliness and acceptance with God. But please don't read in any tone to these verses. That is not there. I believe the tone of our Lord Jesus was not harsh. It was not cruel. Here's the way I think he said these words. In an inquisitive manner. What I mean by that is. 
when he says, let the children first be filled. He's not saying, let the children first be filled, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it under the dogs. I think he said it like this. Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it under the dogs. Is it? Is it not? It's almost posed, not literally, but with inference, as a, as a question to open up these people's minds, all these religious Jews round about, and this little Gentile woman. You might say you're reading a lot into this. Well, the word for dog used here is the word in Greek for pet dog. It's not the word used for the scavenger, the unclean dog. It's the word used for a little dog that sits under the table or that lies at the bottom of the bed. It's the word for a dog who's been accepted in the house And you know what the Lord's doing here? He's wanting to evoke, indeed provoke, in the minds and hearts of these Jews and even this woman, that God is now reaching out in grace to the Gentiles. That's what he's doing. So rather than shutting the door to this woman, the Lord is leaving the the door ajar. He, He wants them to see that this accepted wisdom that they'd taken as an inference of the law of Moses, was not the way God was working now. He wanted this woman by faith to walk through this open door that he now was opening. It's wonderful, isn't it? So this story is not about the reluctance of the Lord. It's, in fact, the antithesis. It's about his willingness. It's misunderstood, isn't it? It's misunderstood like Luke 18, 1 to 8. You know the parable where the Lord was teaching his disciples to pray always and not to faint. And he tells them about an unjust judge and a widow who knocks the door and gets him up and, and it's continually, importunately crying to him to, to avenge her adversaries. And, and he says, look, I'm going to get rid of this woman a bit like the disciples. I'm going to silence her and fed up with her and, and give her what she's asking. And then the Lord applies the parable. And we've often this vision of God, he's like that. He's like that unjust judge. That's not what the Lord was meaning. He's meaning God is the opposite of that. If the unjust judge gave that woman what she was asking for because he was fed up with her, how much more shall your heavenly father avenge the cries of his own elect which cry unto him day and night without ceasing? He is the opposite of all that. He wants to give us our need. And so many misunderstand this event as well. Now you've heard the expression playing the devil's advocate, haven't you? You know what it means. It means to pretend against an idea. To take on a role that you don't really believe in, but to make a point. You understand what it means. Well, here the Lord Jesus is playing the law's advocate. That's what he's doing. He's playing the law's advocate. He's standing in the place of what these religious, uh, self-righteous Pharisees would say and how they would behave. And he wants to show the exclusiveness of the law in order to display the wonderful glory of his grace as a contrast to it. That he was going to do something new. Ironically, through what seemed to be initially great harshness, the Lord Jesus is inviting this ostracized woman through the open door of his grace. I can't go on any further. I have a lot to say, but and I'll say it, don't you worry. But I can't go on any further without saying, have you gone through that door? Have you? It's open for you today. 
You might have a load of hurdles in your mind and heart that you feel you've got to get over. Those aren't in God's mind or heart. As far as he's concerned, the door's open wide. The Lord Jesus was going to Calvary as the servant of the Lord to lay down his life, shed his blood for your sins. There's nothing more for you to do, for Jesus did it all. Just come through the door. But wonderful if someone here this morning came through that door. Two things we need to notice from this incident. One, the desire of this woman to receive his grace. You've got to have a desire to receive God's grace. But two, hallelujah, the willingness. That's what the story's all about. Not reluctance. The willingness of the Lord Jesus to administer God's grace to all men. And the lesson is God's grace is available to all the Gentiles. All the people who want it. Thought of the words of the hymn. From age to age the theme is telling. Grace is free. Grace is free. From shore to shore the strains are swelling. Grace is free. Grace is free. And when that time shall cease to be. And faith is crowned with victory. To sound through all eternity. Grace is free. Grace is free. That's the main point of this story. God's grace has been made free. And the Lord had to behave in this seemingly harsh way. To illustrate it in a shocking manner. That all men everywhere, if they repent and believe, will be saved. Now, what made her hold on in spite of the apparent unwillingness of Christ? And this is very important. I wouldn't have held on. I'll be honest with you. I would have given up. I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, would have been the same. Well, here I believe is the answer to this question. The secret of her holding on was she had got a glimpse of Christ's heart. Remember, she had heard about him before. And she had understood the heart of this man who received sinful men and women and the outcasts all over Palestine. And so she was interpreting his words, even his harsh words, in the light of what she already knew about him. In other words, she had seen his grace displayed and heard about it before. And so she knew that no matter how harsh these words sounded, there had to be a gracious loophole in them somewhere. There had to be. If this was the same Lord Jesus, there wouldn't be no grace for her. Now there is a secondary point, And it relates to prayer. And if... We're going to know God's grace in our lives. Can I say this? We've got to get to know the Lord's heart. It's all right knowing his word. And a lot of you folk know his word well. And that's wonderful. That's not to be despised. But that's not where it ends. Beyond the sacred page I seek thee, Lord. Gary Culbertson said, One of the reasons people find it hard to be obedient to the commands of Christ is that they are uncomfortable taking orders from a stranger. Got to get to know him. And so there are many lessons in prayer, and let me leave them with you very briefly. In prayer, we come to a throne of grace, don't we? That has been opened up to us by the new and living way of the Savior. And so in this story, the Lord was allowing himself to be caught in his words by this woman. And the Lord still does this. He, he lets us, first of all, see our impossibility from our side. And then he shows us the possibility from his side. And it's not that he's reluctant. He wants us to get to that place where our self-sufficiency is gone so that we are completely dependent upon him, as Philip Brooks, the Puritan, said. Prayer 
is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. Not overcoming his reluctance, but laying hold on his willingness. And so the lesson for us in prayer in this instant is God's delays are not his denials. You know what they are? God's delays are his encouragements to increase our faith. That's why God's delaying and answering your prayers. He wants to increase your faith. And we see that in Matthew 15 in his record of this story. Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Now let me say this. Two points. It's significant, first of all, that the two and only two times our Lord Jesus speaks of great faith in the Gospels, it was of Gentiles. The other one was the Roman centurion. And it is also significant that on both those occasions, the Lord Jesus healed those that were in need from a distance. Speaking of the distance that was between the Jew and Gentile, and the Lord was now, he, he was going into that space and bringing the Gentiles to God. The Lord is teaching faith in him. Faith in his word can span any distance. But often the Lord has to delay and it might seem that he denies to increase our faith, to cause us to grow in our faith. See, the Lord's delays are his way of training us in persevering prayer so that we get to the point where we can be sure to obtain the answer of the Lord. And you know something? For many, much of our needs, only persevering faith expressed in prayer will avail and bring us the answer. That's why we don't often see as many answers to prayer that we would like, because we're not prepared to importunately persist and prevail and persevere in faith. You see, generally speaking, we're a generation of quitters today. There is a generational aspect to that. Things were harder years ago. In an everyday sense, people had to strive for their bread and, and work with the sweat of their brow for everything they had. And things come a lot easier today. And so this has is, this is really become part of our makeup. That striving spirit that was even a human thing years ago isn't the same. And it's identical in the spiritual realm. There are very few people who strive in prayer. And you know something? Satan trembles when he sees a striving saint upon their knees. I think he, he has a way of resisting our ordinary prayers at times. We see that in the book of Daniel. He can resist our prayers. But Daniel's victory came because he persevered. And he prevailed. And Satan seems to lose his power like he lost his power in this wee girl, in this story. When we hold on to God and won't let go. Until he blesses. George Muller knew all about that. Many instances in his life we could recite. At one point he said the, the great point in prayer is never to give up until the answer comes. And he gives an anecdote from his own experience. He says, I've been praying 63 years and 8 months for one man's conversion. 60, this is George Muller, great man of faith. 63 years and 8 months. He is not saved yet, but he will be. How can it be otherwise? 
I am praying. The day came when Muller's friend did receive the Lord Jesus. But it didn't come until Muller's coffin was being lowered into the ground, yet it came. And beside that open grave, that man prayed for 63 years and eight months, trusted Christ at the grave of the man who was praying for him all those years. Persevering prayer won the battle. Muller's prayer saw success just for four simple words. He did not quit. What is the Lord teaching? He's teaching the willingness to give us grace. What is he teaching? He is teaching the need for us to desire enough to surrender ourselves before God in importunate, persevering, prevailing prayer, to realize that any delays to answer our prayers and seeming refusals are often tests of our faith for us to grow stronger and pray harder and see greater wonders done for Almighty God's glory. Almost seems too good to be true, doesn't it? But the saints of God of old have testified to it. I leave you with one quote of the great missionary, Adoniram Judson. And listen to these words. These are profound. I never prayed sincerely and earnestly for anything, but it came at some time. Now, there's qualification there, sincerely and earnestly. And, of course, he was praying according to the will of God, not against it. No matter at how distant a day, somehow he goes on in some shape, probably the last I would have devised it, it came. Grace receives us, and we must continue to receive that grace, even in the midst of seemingly unanswered prayers that we think are God's refusals. There's a hymn I introduced the folk to here on a Thursday night. And we're going to sing it. And it goes like this. Unanswered yet. Now just listen to it. Unanswered yet. The prayer your lips have pleaded. In agony of heart. These many years. Does faith begin to fail? Is hope departing? And think you all in vain those falling tears? Say not the Father hath not heard your prayer. You shall have your desire sometime, somewhere. And let me just say, I feel I have to qualify what I've said this morning. There are certain circumstances where in God's sovereignty he doesn't give us what we're asking. Because it's not according to his will. There's often a mystery in that. We cannot understand why he doesn't. And so there are things like that in our lives, and I'm not suggesting that those can be necessarily overcome by our prevailing. But what I will say is this. Those, I think, according to scriptures, are the exception rather than the rule. When Paul came and said, Lord, take this thorn away from my flesh, three times he said it, he prevailed. The Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. That is the exception. The rule is, ask and it shall be given unto thee. Seek and ye shall find. And so there 
or many circumstances perhaps we have surrendered to and said, that's the will of God. But what we need to do is prevail more and pray more. Father, say to folk what you're saying and unjumble any confusion that might be in folks' minds from what is a very difficult passage of Scripture that confronts us with things we, we're not used to seeing in our Saviour, and yet he brings to us in such a graphic way things that we need to hear this morning. That people who are here without Christ, the door is open and they can enter in now by a simple act of faith. And yet all of us, Lord, have a new and living way to come to to find grace and help in time of our need. And may we all enter in. May we hold on to God until we hear the answer, whatever that answer may be. The answer may be no. The answer may be wait. The answer may be yes. But Lord, let us hold on until we hear your voice. Lord, thank you for your word. And may it rest in every heart now. We say, Lord, increase our faith and teach us to pray. Amen.